Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 213 for Monday, October 3rd, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the intent knows me as Pixlriffs, and joining me as always, still surviving, is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, I have survived. I've survived the weekend of streaming and watching streams. And if you'd like to hear what we've been watching on those streams, I've been watching a lot of Grounded. Uh, a new game that's out uh, on Xbox and PC. Uh, you can check out the Render Distance. That is the extended version of the podcast. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to get access to that. You can also listen to it live if you're in part of the in the Discord when we do these things on Monday mornings. There's a bunch of different benefits for becoming a member. And it's those members we want to thank because it's the first show of October. It is, uh, it's, it's Patreon payday for the, the lack of a better way to put it. You folks are the reasons that we get to do the show. Uh, the support from our patrons keeps the show going and we cannot thank you enough. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to do this every single month. And we have other benefits coming up. We can, of course, expect the chunk mail dispenser later this month. Uh, the quarterly hangout is actually happening this coming Saturday, October the 8th. More details about that in the uh, in the Discord closer to. And we do have to make up the monthly Minecraft Hangout for September. That was uh, rained out by Hurricane Fiona that came through Nova Scotia a couple of weeks ago. But once a month, we hang out with our patrons and we talk about what they've been building in Minecraft. So all these things are accessible via patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. This is going to be a really interesting month because, of course, we have Minecraft Live coming up and we are planning on restreaming that over on my Twitch channel. More details of that later on as well. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting month to see what, you know, what announcements from Mojang spark people's imagination and all that kind of stuff. We've got a, a bit of news about that coming up and our main discussion today is going to be focused on one of those pieces of news in particular. But first, what's new in your Minecraft life, Joel? I have built the two towers. Well, maybe not the <laughs> maybe not the two towers, but like the, the two, two towers, towers that are, yeah, a two towers, a pair of towers that are attached to the Tiger Hill Mansion. Uh, there's not a lot to discuss here. I mean, they're you know they're three by well they're five by five towers, but they've got that like the corner kind of cut out of them, so that the, mm -hmm. each face is three and they're attached diagonally. Uh, one is much shorter than the other. But uh, I have finished the inside and outside. So they had a basic shape and form. Uh, they had a basic staircase going up the middle of them. But I went through and put in all the details. You know, I did the textures on the outside. I kind of tapered different parts. I added details. Uh, I tried to do a, a, a gradient. I was looking forward to trying something like, you know, deep slate into tough into andesite. But unfortunately, the scale of a lot of what I'm doing in West Hill just doesn't lend itself to that very well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I went back to what's been working for me, which is just stone, stone brick and andesite and doing a gradient from one to the other. And it seems to work OK. The stone brick kind of acts like a top and bottom. And then the stone and andesite tends to um, look like the andesite kind of looks like weathered stone. It kind of looks like um, stuff that's been, you know, uh, around for a while. So so that that helped. Uh, it, it made things look more finished. I like that the exterior of this is looking more like a completed thought rather than just like a bunch of stuff that's been thrown vertically. Uh, and so that was fun. And and some fun little Easter eggs and little things that I, I didn't really plan, but just happened to work out very well. Uh, there's a battlement on the front door or front face of this mansion. And both towers just without any planning the staircases inside happen to line up perfectly so you can now have there's an entrance to each tower from the battlement which makes sense but it wasn't planned mm. uh and it works out which with each floor going down like you have a staircase and a landing at the main floor the basement at 
um, the the battlement, and then of course at the top when there's like a windows and a, and, and a balcony. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I you know it's it's I I like simple straightforward builds like that. It's it took you know two streams to do each tower because I'm me and I have to make everything look very specific. But uh, a lot of spruce trap doors, and I think my favorite trick of the whole thing was the the tallest tower it might be the tallest thing in west hill and so i've got to say it's got to be 20 or 30 blocks just in the staircase alone mm -hmm. so in the middle even with the new lighting um numbers i still had about nine blocks where the slabs where you would have a flat platform would be light level zero yeah and i didn't i did not want a creeper surprise going up the stairs to the tower so uh, what I ended up doing was I raised the floor of the very top floor of the tall tower by uh, a trapdoor's width. And then I hung a soul fire lantern on a chain and the chain goes all the way down the middle of the tower by like eight blocks. And then the lantern on the middle lights up and it's more than enough to take care of those nine blocks, but it gets everything to about level five, like all the way up the tower. Mm -hmm. And then the chain serves a gameplay purpose of you can't walk into the hole sure the, yeah like you can't fall down the hole in the middle of the stairs which i've done once or twice i didn't die or anything but it was still you know a thing that gives you you know puts your heart in your throat <laughs> so so that that was like okay well that's kind of cool like that's good to remember because like a lot of times i want to cover that up and make it look more realistic and have like a log support that goes up the middle of these small towers but then you just feel so claustrophobic going up them right you like you feel like you're going up this teeny tiny little stairwell which i know is accurate because i've been in older like medieval forts and things you know not medieval but i've been in old forts around around the province and the the passageway is like i'm uncomfortable like it's very tiny and i and so i know it's accurate but like this was just this nice way of like, well, this is a great way to not fall down the middle and the chain doesn't obstruct your view at all. So you don't feel like you've got two blocks like earphones, you know? So, um, but yeah, everything came together quite well. I, I was quite happy with it. It was, it was nice to kind of go in and break apart the big build and the large to-do list I still have left on it down to just two items, big yeah. tower Saturday, small tower Sunday, and then nice. revisit next time. You're not going to make Small Tower Sunday a regular thing. That sounds like a brand name at this point. That's like <laughs> Chopping Tuesday for me. It's, <laughs> you're going to have to, we'll have Small Tower Sunday in the uh, the city of West Hill. That would be good if you were doing something like the wall that I have going around the town. Like if you had a really big project, like a a, a wall that was part of your story on empires that required you to put like turrets, like every so many blocks, mm -hmm. <laughs> like you could just, instead of chopping Tuesday, you could have like small tower Sunday and just like, you know, just, just build towers <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all it, stream long. You know, it'd have to be every other Sunday for me. Cause the, uh, the, the alternating Sundays are still dungeons and dragons, but we can right. make it work. I'm sure. Um, over on the empires, speaking of which I have been, mostly working on this froglight orchard that i mentioned last week um but the froglight orchard has since grown to i think i have about 23 trees in there right now i was going to build 24 but i ran out of birch leaves for the last one and i was doing these all on stream so i decided you know cut it off there i'd already gone over uh, my usual allotted time and figured i would uh, just leave one as a tree stump for the time being so i might leave it there or i might have the tree that's like kind of fallen down or something like that but this is all based on um three different tree designs 
that are different combinations of froglites and leaves. So the ochre froglites match up with mangrove leaves, and I'm in a savanna, so they have that kind of yellowy green color to the natural leaves. But then I'm using azalea and flowering azalea for the pearlescent froglites, and birch leaves for the verdant froglites, so that each one has a different leaf color. And the idea nice. is that some uh, botanist at some point has managed to engineer different types of trees to grow froglites on them so that I have a, an in-world excuse for my froglite farm, which is, you know, miles away in the nether, still feeling like it's part of the empire. And I came up with two different designs for each variety of tree. And then I just rotated them in different ways using the kind of uh, video game developer idea of you know, you're taking the same few assets so that the game doesn't have to render the same thing over and over again um, and, and in, like, different variants and stuff. All you do is rotate them and they still look like different trees because nobody has studied them for long enough to realize that it's just you're looking at the same tree from a different angle. And with Lightmatica, that's super easy to do. I can mirror them, I can rotate them 90 degrees any number of ways. So I've started doing that and I now have a reasonable-sized orchard which I've also now populated with dodos. So this is something that's been in the work for a while. And on the server on the Empires, we have a custom entity models mod, which allows us to import things which are variants on existing mobs. And one of the best things to do that with is a horse, because if you modify the way a horse looks, then you have a mount that you're riding around on constantly, and it can feel like part of your empire's identity and it's something that you're going to take with you so you see it quite frequently as opposed to like having a different model for pigs but then never seeing a pig again because you're out in the middle of nowhere working on other stuff this at least feels like something we can take with us and i was talking about this with my stream chat a while ago and they said well since you're bringing this empire back from its history and you're reconstructing stuff from the past why don't you do that with your mount as well and have dodos be your animal and so i've been working with a very talented artist block modeler who's uh put together a lot of the stuff on on empire season two and they came back to me with a brilliant design for a dodo inspired by a bit of concept art that i found online and I think it's glorious. So I now have a dodo named Winchester, who is my uh, my travel companion, and <laughs> is going to be uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just I liked the name. It's a, it's a name from yeah. I, I used to like write little short stories and stuff like that ages ago, almost in a, in another life now. And uh, one of the characters was named Winchester, and I just liked the name. So it's um, I think it's also uh, there's a town near where I grew up called Winchester, which I think was the old capital of England as well before London became the capital. So like there's there's a lot of depth to it, but it, it, it's just an adorable dodo character that I thought was really really fun. So how big is this? Because it's kind of hard to get a grasp on on the scale. I mean, the image looks fantastic. It it definitely it uh, it feels Minecrafty. It feels just a little bit beyond what you'd normally get from like a horse or a cow model. But um, I mean, it's very well done. And definitely, yeah. like you immediately go, that's a dodo. Like you, yeah. you know exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah, they're quite detailed, but they are they are really fun. They are the size of a horse. I mean, not not oh, like wow. in terms of length, but in terms of height. So when I'm riding one of these, it looks realistic. Like it doesn't look like I'm riding around on this tiny little thing. Like I'm not a chicken <laughs> jockey at this point. Um, I'll I'll try and I'll try and get a decent screenshot of me actually riding one. Um, By realistic, you mean ridiculous at the same time, right? Oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's hilarious uh, riding around on one of these things, and the legs going as well. There is a um, there's a, a bug with this version of the mod, which means if I'm riding around on 
one of these things, if I ride near some of the other dodos that I'm not currently riding, their legs still move, like the legs kind of sync up. And so it looks like it looks like the dodos are doing that little like stamping dance that birds sometimes do when they're trying to get worms to come out of the soil. And mm-hmm. it's it's adorable. Like it, it actually genuinely looks very, That's very funny. cool. So yeah, I, I, I enjoy that immensely and I think I'm I'm probably going to to keep that around. Yeah, Please I have a couple tell of- me that this does like a two-legged plie when you jump over something uh it, it kind of spreads its wings when it jumps in, oh, okay. in a cute little way okay um, but yeah I just no. thought, you know like the the juxtaposition of, of, a, of a dodo and a ballerina kind of doing this like Ta-da! as you just yeah. kind of like <laughs> jump across a couple of blocks in front yeah, of your no. other other server mates that would it, be very funny it would be great yeah so I, I i ended up um they're all converted from horses using an item that we have as part of the mod pack so um, mm. Yeah, I, I brought a bunch of horses over. I tamed a bunch of them and tried uh, tried them out for their different stats and whatnot. And there were a couple that had really good health but were kind of slow. There was one that had good health and speed but was a really poor jumper. And this one was just like a good all rounder. So I ended up sticking with uh, with him in the end. But there was one that was just so slow and had like nine hearts. And I was like, this dodo is basically still extinct. I'm not going to be riding this one around at any any great speed. So decided to leave that one to uh to to have its pick of the best frog lights and a few people in the community have now started to like headcanon even though i haven't really said that these frog lights are edible fruit that the dodos just like pick the low-hanging ones off the trees and eat them um which i think is kind of cool um that's really fun yeah aside from that this week i've been tidying up some aspects of the great bridge which i left unfinished i was really happy with the build and it's been there for a long time and people have started building stuff on the individual towers on the bridge because i put 12 towers in there because there are 12 other people on the server and uh there's a, an off ramp i've been thinking of it as to uh go down to the hill that leads around into basically the back entrance to my my empire and there's a spot opposite for something similar that i hadn't worked out what i wanted to build there and that's just been empty for the longest time. So I decided I was just going to mirror the off-ramp onto the opposite side. And that's what I've been working on so far this week. I've got other plans, but uh, yeah, a couple of things that I don't want to reveal quite yet. It's uh, it's it's a, a week of secrets over on Empires. I, it's going to be challenging making those secret projects because like as a content creator, like you want to obviously share everything, but then like, you, you'd be spoiling your own work as soon yeah. as you get out there, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mostly don't want to spoil it for other people on the server who are inevitably going to be, you know, spoiled for it by their audience. You know, there's 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 going to be somebody who says, oh, you know, the the secret to this puzzle or whatever. Like they'll they'll let them know mm. where all of the loot is, and I don't want that to happen. I want I want people to be surprised by that. So uh, yeah, crossing my fingers that people will find that stuff in good time and that I don't have to delay some of the videos that I'm making about it. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's move on into the news, and this week we have an interesting article from Minecraft.net, which is titled Featuring Features From Now On. Building upon a Minecraft Now Q&A, as it uh, says in the article, this article focuses on how Mojang plans to communicate upcoming releases for the game, starting with Minecraft Live 2022, and addresses the growth of the core game team from 15 people to 80 people, which you might be surprised to learn isn't simply a matter of being able to output five times the amount of content they did before. Now, it's not stated in the article, like, over what time span the team has grown, but we know that they've been hiring new people. We've been seeing a lot of new faces in developer diaries and stuff like that. So it's interesting to hear them talk about the challenges inherent to bringing that many new people onto the team, getting them all up to speed. 
And obviously doing all of this while a pandemic is still ongoing. I'm going to quote a couple of things from the article here because this is the stuff that I think is going to be really important to players. So, quote, One of the changes that the team has made is the way they work with updating the game and how they can balance fixes with new features. We want Minecraft to last forever, but it's also no spring chicken and needs some work under the hood. These changes aim to take care of our team and ensure the highest quality possible while also delivering on our promises. This year we're going to do things a little bit differently during Minecraft Live 2022 coming October 15th. In the past we have revealed the bigger part of our upcoming updates during the show. But this year we want to stay true to Minecraft's mysterious nature and not let all the cats and ocelots out of the bag. The team are still going to show off what they're working on, but the only things that are ready, but only the things that are ready to take the stage and shine beneath the spotlight. End quote. So this article goes on to restate the importance of community input into Minecraft's growth, saying we are going to keep listening, learning, and drawing inspiration from you. But it says effectively that they are not going to be showing features which are in development but might not make the cut because that's clearly something that community has not been too keen on in the past. The other thing that we wanted to highlight in this week's news is something we're actually going to be dedicating our main discussion for and that is the Minecraft Legends Classic Mobs and New Friends video over on Minecraft's official YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Minecraft. The video description says take a closer look at the mobs of Legends courtesy of our game team and our friends at Blackbird Interactive. The video outlines the approach that the Minecraft Legends team has taken to introduce new mobs like the Plank, Cobblestone, Grindstone and Mossy Golems to the roster of familiar mobs like Creepers, Zombies and Skeletons. And yeah, we're going to be unpacking what we've seen in this dev diary a little bit later in today's episode of The Spawn Chunks. I'll leave one little note here that I watched the video live on my Sunday Minecraft stream with uh, my community and it was really fun to do that. I might do that more often with the um, Minecraft videos that come up. Very often I'll just kind of like throw them on on the couch while I'm making breakfast or like, you know, I'll, when I, I'll watch them when I see them. But it was more interesting to have like a bit of a, a live conversation and, and bounce some ideas back and forth, see initial reactions of people watching it for the first time as I was as well, sharing my first impressions with chat and then having a visual thing to go back and pause and go like, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. So I might do that more often. It was a lot of fun. So uh, we'll have to look into that. But yes, I, I will save my full thoughts for our main discussion. Yeah, I'm thinking given the way they usually communicate stuff for the mob vote for Minecraft Live, we may not get to see the mobs that they're going to have up for voting this year like during one of our Spawn Chunks episodes. Like we're, we're going to come here on Monday, record the show, and then information about the mob vote candidates is probably going to come out after that. Uh, so it's probably going to be a good thing to do if we're streaming during the week or anything like that to pick up on the Minecraft Live mob vote info and maybe do a live reaction to it where we can because uh, we're not going to be able to talk about it until the, the live stream on October 15th. And hey, like, I mean, you've got a, a regular Tuesday stream, so uh, very often the stuff ends up coming out on, on Tuesday immediately after we publish the show. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Or within 24 hours. Uh, I mean, look, my schedule is flexible. So like if, if you want to if you want to jump in together and watch it together live, then I'm happy to do that. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what we can come up with. Um, in the meantime, though, I think this first article is really worth considering. Mm -hmm. And I, I posted a reaction to this on Twitter almost immediately because I was really happy to talk about Mojang 
uh, to hear Mojang talk about their communication strategy, which this article was naturally a part of. Their first, the first step on their communication strategy is communicate the communication strategy. Um, <laughs> but but there are there are so many positives to take away from this. I think it prevents issues like players getting attached to stuff which might not make it to full release. Stuff like the archaeology system, stuff like fireflies, things which are clearly prototypes at the time, and they think, yeah, this probably still has a place in it, but still ends up getting cut during development, and then you don't end up with players kind of having this current attitude we're seeing, which is all of these features are still promised and aren't coming to the game, and they're delaying them, and why? Um, so hopefully we end up with less of that happening in the community. The community also doesn't jump to conclusions about sketched out features, um, things like the birch forest concept art, and uh, if we end up not seeing too much of that, which we figured we would after the, the, the backlash there, um, it, it makes sense to focus everybody's attention on the stuff that they are confident is going to be part of the release and not end up misleading people as a result, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally. It also means that we get pleasant surprises during the snapshot cycle. Like, I remember back when we were covering the Nether update, the sudden appearance of Basalt Deltas and Striders during the uh, development of 1.16 was really exciting for us, both on the show and as players, because it was stuff that hadn't been mentioned at all in Minecraft Life. We knew about piglins, we knew about a few different nether biomes, we didn't know that the Basalt Delta was arriving and Striders were out of nowhere. So I think there's... A lot to be said for that approach, and it's an approach we haven't seen them taking recently where, if anything, they have seemed to overpromise features which have then had to be rolled back as the update scope, you know, enlarged whilst they were developing it. So I think it's a really good approach to, uh, to, to discussing this stuff at Minecraft Live this year. I agree with regards to Mojang's communication and tempering expectations for Minecraft Live. Like, I, there was a, a snippet that we talked about from Agnes uh, in that uh, that monthly video that they did that that I think this just kind of elaborates and communicates even more clearly uh, on. And, uh, and like you said, I think it's good for the team. Um, I hadn't realized just how large the team had grown. That's yeah. nice to know. Uh, and uh, I think that there's that there's a balance to be struck because i i take for granted as a as a you know former development artist you know as a, as a concept designer and character designer i mean a lot of my stuff hasn't seen the light of day i've i've gotten paid professionally to work on character designs for television pitches that never get picked up so then i can't share the work people never see it yeah and so you forget sometimes you know i know stuff never sees the light of day but i think the general public doesn't always realize that just because it was made into concept art does not mean that it goes anywhere beyond that artist's desk you know it's yeah. the equivalent of you know concept art is the equivalent of an artist at, you know, or someone at a whiteboard just jotting down brainstorm ideas like what do we want to do about this project like concept sketches are just that they're just ideas you know like they have they sometimes are very bad ideas but sometimes you have to get through 30 bad ideas before you have a good one yeah yeah and, definitely. and so sharing everything with with the public can be a little bit you know um it feels like an overpromise, um or can be i guess misinterpreted as an overpromise. um however I, I wonder if Mojang keeps the overall theme or main features on the update a secret, if it will generate less excitement or less interest. So I, and I don't think that's exactly what this article is saying. It's just a little, it's a little unclear how much they're going to keep to themselves. Um, I don't particularly find Minecraft a mysterious game. So them using that phrase was kind of odd to me. Um, but there's a balance there because like, if you don't reveal enough, 
it could lead to wild speculation. We still have emails from people expecting the end update in 1.20. That's not happening. Like that, that's that's not a thing. Uh, given all the 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 tempered expectations that we're getting from Mojang communication, the end uh, I really don't feel is going to be updated uh, this time around. Um, so I I think that when you leave too much open to the imagination, people just kind of gravitate to the big thing that they want. Yeah. So hopefully during Minecraft Live in 2022, they will give enough information about like, here's the theme, here's the direction, here are a couple of things that we know are going to make it that will at least say, okay, and I'm, I'm going to pull something out of the air, the Wild West update. Let's just call it that for something easy to talk about. Okay, well, we're going to add, you know, uh, a bandit and we're going to add, you know, some uh, a couple of different things for trains. That's the, or for minecarts. That's the only thing we know it's going to be in there. But at least with like that theme, you can kind of like, okay, well then maybe there might be cactuses or tumbleweeds or maybe the badlands. Like you kind of have an idea. You're not then thinking that the end is going to be part of that, right? Yeah. It at least narrows the focus. So I'm hoping they kind of balance those expectations. Although um, calling it the Wild West update would have so many people going, it's Wild Update Part 2. It's oh, Caves and yeah. Cliffs Part 7. It's a bad example, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, no, but but yeah the, I, the, the, the literal net will absolutely jump on this. I, I understand. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate maybe the sentiment is, behind it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is the year they drop the update off of the update as well, right? Like they're communicating about the communication. So maybe they'll like not call it the update, but we'll see. Um, the, the other thing that, you know, as, and this is coming from the perspective of someone that does a podcast as, you know, part of their job about Minecraft is that, uh, hopefully if they're not revealing as much, uh, in Minecraft live 2022, I'm hoping it might be a more economic show, uh, and that there won't be as much fluff content. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because time in my brain over the pandemic has been one giant mush, but. I feel like 2021 was not as as bad. I say bad. It, th there was more substance in Minecraft Live 2021 than I recall in previous years. Minus maybe the pre-show, but the pre-show was just kind of getting people's butts and chairs before they reveal the important information. Yeah, um, but I, 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 I would agree with your assessment, though. I think 2021 was a, a good show as far as bringing in information that people wanted to see and less of the on-stage bits. Because, frankly, I think those are a, a a factor of the times when they've been able to do a live show in front of an audience and the audience wants a bit of like a stage show kind of thing instead of just mm -hmm. people sitting around talking about what they do. Whereas, obviously, that hasn't been possible since the pandemic and they're still doing these as a virtual broadcast. So, if anything, we'll get something like we got last year where they cut to a few developers talking about some of the tools they were using. We had that presentation about Blockbench and how to design your own mob. And some of that is still peripherally interesting whilst not just being a bunch of people on stage trying to get the audience excited about something that they're doing in Minecraft. I feel like they've also put a lot of that stuff into the Minecraft Now episodes which go out on youtube yes, so true. that they can have a place to talk to developers in a more casual atmosphere and they're trying to do something in game and you see you know gameplay action happening whilst also having another staff member on the couch who's like answering q a questions for example like i think they've started to do stuff like that in minecraft now so that they can maybe clear the deck a bit for minecraft live and talk about the tent poles of the you know the the development calendar and i think that's going to be easier for them to do this year because they now have three games to talk about we have vanilla we have dungeons and we now have minecraft right. legends That's so right. 
I think there is a lot to be said about, you know, building excitement for Minecraft Legends. Vanilla Minecraft obviously has an announcement of an update and the mob vote is going to be happening all around that. But the mob vote isn't going to be the same segment as it was in previous years because it's not like it happens in stages anymore. It's just going to be happening over the 24 hours preceding the live show and then the votes are going to be counted and the winner is going to be announced. But they don't have to build as much hype for it except just to say these are your last few minutes to get the votes in. It's not going to be a, a two-stage vote where the, the the two winners of the first poll are put head-to-head, -head, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I forgot that content had been kind of moved over to, to the Minecraft Now because uh, I don't really watch Minecraft Now for that mm -hmm. reason. Uh, and so uh, I that's that's a really good point that it's it's there's not there's already a different avenue for it so they would just be kind of repeating themselves and to be clear i i don't think that like the developer conversations on the couch is fluff like that's the kind of stuff i want yeah like those, yeah, totally. those are the conversations i want it's it's the other stuff that tends to be just kind of like a little bit more periphery that i i find i uh, i i find myself drumming my fingers but that's probably unique to me as like a podcaster that covers it you know my age and all that kind of stuff because i understand yeah. that there's also content from previous years that was aimed at a younger audience and, and all that kind of stuff but yeah, yeah uh three games is, is great like it, it's you know it's going to be really cool to hear more about legends you know at minecraft live i'm assuming they're going to give more like they it would be an excellent opportunity to right yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I'm confident that we will see more. If not a gameplay demo, then at least a bit more information like what we got in the Dev Diary video over on YouTube. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that we'll get a decent amount of that. And I think Minecraft now is where they've started celebrating the community side a lot more. And so maybe any community segments of this can be relatively brief. They can maybe point people towards Minecraft now as a show to watch if you want to get some of that and stay focused on, yeah, developer conversations and announcements about the upcoming games. Um, I think we'll probably wrap up the news discussion there and move on into chunk mail because uh, we risk breaking into our Minecraft Legends discussion a little early. So, Joel, why don't you kick us off with our first email? If you would like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please keep them brief, keep them on point, and it betters your chance of having them being read on the show. First email comes from Beefy McGee X, one of my favorite <laughs> usernames of late, The Struggles of Placing Stairs. Hey, Joel and Picks. I've recently been introduced to Lightmatica, uh, the mod that Picks uses on the Empire series. One of my favorite features is the easy place mode a tool that allows you to simply click on a place in the schematic and the game will automatically place the correct block in the correct orientation as long as it is in your inventory. In my opinion, this feature has made building more fun as I can now spend the time designing and detailing my builds instead of wasting hours making scaffolding spaghetti to reach annoying positions. My current build in particular requires a lot of stairs, slabs, and doors, so the mode makes it many times easier to place these in all of the various orientations without having to contort myself into impossible positions to use far too many temporary dirt blocks. Redstone builds with observers, pistons, and dispensers also suffer from this orientation issue. However, I have recently been wondering if using this mode is perhaps a bit cheaty. What do you guys think? Is something like this easy place mode as a tool for building too unvanilla? Would vanilla benefit from an item such as a copper wrench that would enable the player to change or lock the rotations of blocks before they're placed? Many thanks for the great podcast. Beefy McGee X tied themselves in a knot trying to place a stair. 
<laughs> it happens. It happens to us all too frequently. Um, how much experience do you have with Lightmatica, Joel? Is it something you've ever used or is it something that you've just seen other people use? It's only something I've seen other people use. And I understand that there's a lot of different controls and likely some, hopefully some UI controls because I find it looks like a hot mess. Mm -hmm. uh, it's yeah. probably because I'm not the one that has created the thing. You know, like I, I've not built it already in creative and then I'm bringing it over. And I think part of that is that I don't do that. Like I build everything live on stream. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of trial and error. So because I've already done that trial and error once, I don't have the need for Lightmatica. Now, there is a feature of mini HUD that I've used, but that just creates like general spheres and shapes. Like make a box that's 64 by 64 by 64, and it creates a hologram out of it in your world. So you don't have to count blocks while you're digging. You can just dig to the giant yellow wall and then stop and turn left and keep going. So th that kind of stuff I can see being really helpful. Um, the the late Manica stuff with placing blocks, I didn't know that it would lock the orientation. Like I did, I didn't know that was a thing. I thought that it just gave you a visual representation of like, you took the time to texture this wall and make this gradient and use all these different kind of blocks to get it just the way that you want once in creative. And now similar to the conversation we were having about, um, you know, small tower Sunday, if you've got a bunch of these towers that you have to build, you can then just use Lightmatica to place this build a number of times in your survival world and then build it over again. And so I don't have any experience with it that way. When I've watched, I think it was Exumavoid on Hermacraft doing the inside of his skeleton base that he was using Light Manica. And I just, I couldn't tell where he was placing blocks. And I, again, it's it's probably something I would get used to once once using it, but you have more experience with it than, than I do. So do you find that it was like that for you coming in? Did you find it was very visually confusing? It gets that way at first, yeah. And it's mainly because there is a toggle for transparency of blocks and it's very circumstantial whether you want that or not like a lot of the time i want to see the solid blocks in front of me because especially if i'm building with a level of detail if i if i have the transparency set to a certain amount if it's maybe like 50 percent opacity i often can't tell the difference between a stone block and an andesite block because the details of the two are relatively difficult to define at that level of opacity so a lot of the time i'll build something with the block rendering as though they are opaque and it'll just have a kind of blue overlay and blue outline around them but then i often forget that those aren't solid blocks and i'll try to land on them when i'm flying back down with elytra so it, it can get a little confusing now i'm a bit more used to it i find it a very valuable tool because a lot of the designs that i'm working with from my creative world that I'm bringing into survival, I would normally just sketch something out in creative, take a bunch of screenshots of it, and then try and rebuild that in survival, where I would inevitably count out some stuff wrong, and, you know, one wall would be too short by a certain length, or I wouldn't have started a design on the outside the right way. So I found Lightmatica very useful to keep my focus in-game, instead of constantly having to look at a second monitor for guidance on a build and i think that's that's a really useful thing especially for people who aren't working with you know complex multi-monitor setups um even then i restrict my use of lightmatica to the empires series because the goal there is more to tell a story and build larger stuff whereas the goal in survival guide is to keep things strictly vanilla and default so i don't tend to use any mods really there at all um the easy placement mode that beefy mcgee x is mentioning in this email is where I draw the line for my own personal enjoyment and my personal gameplay style because one of the problems I have with it 
is that it allows you to place blocks in mid-air without anything to place them against. Aside from being able to like automatically select the correct block from your inventory, it also effectively allows you to place a block as though you're just filling in that block in the schematic, and it means you can place blocks unsupported. And you can't even do that in creative mode unless you're using commands like set block. Um, so that's one of the things that takes me out of the experience of building in survival um, when I'm using Lightmatica. The way I typically do it is it has a variety of modes that it can use to display the hologram that you are building, the, the, the kind of blueprint guideline that you're building from. And you can set it to display everything below a certain Y coordinate or everything above a certain Y coordinate. And what I do is set it to display everything below and then you can use the page up and page down keys on your keyboard to change the Y height that it's displaying. And so when you see people in time lapses, you'll see this in my time lapses, you'll see it in other folks as well. If you see people building something from the bottom layer upwards, almost as though they're 3D printing the structure, that's typically them using Lightmatica, setting it to all below, and then just building the first layer, and then hitting page up, and then building the next layer. And that means that all of the hologram stuff doesn't get in the way whilst you're trying to build the stuff that is lower down on the build. So that can be a really useful way of doing it. It does make time lapses look a little bit artificial in the sense that you're just sort of, yeah, 3D printing a structure or a, a, a statue or whatever it is you're building. But it can be a very a very beneficial way of building that stuff in-game instead of using easy placement mode where you're placing stuff in midair. Um, the other thing is that building stuff that way especially if you're building something organic like a tree, like I was building my, my frog light orchard trees this way, you often find yourself with the lowest leaves. If they're dangling down from leaves placed above them, you have to build them two or three blocks out from the trunk of the tree. And so it can feel kind of artificial that you're just placing one leaf block in midair and then you build the supporting structure for that leaf block when you get to the layers above. And so it can feel like you're placing a lot of random blocks at first and you don't really know what you're uh, what you're doing and why it, what the overall bigger picture looks like as you're building it. So parts of that can feel like a, a little bit different to the process of building stuff in survival, but I think it's still a rewarding experience to have built something in creative and see it visualized in survival perfectly as you as you're building it. I think that's how I approach builds too. Like because I just build in survival, like I generally build a flat form first. Like the tower is just a box. You know, uh, it's either a wireframe or once I decided the shape, it's just like it's a cylinder or whatever it is. And then I go by and add things to the structure or replace the textures of the structure. It is a very similar way to how I would draw something where I would sketch something out first, tighten it up, maybe then ink it and then paint it. And the same idea with the, with Minecraft is like I tend to do like a sketch first, get the form, get to the point where I'm happy with it, get a couple of basic colors going and then work out all the details. And because I work in survival and have to have something there to add things to. So you have to have the tower in first before you can start to put, put in like the little balconies and adornments that give it more detail, like windowsills and overhangs and things like that. And that to me makes it feel more of like a solid building in my head. Mm -hmm. And because of the way that I'm building West Hill, I want there to be paths and stairs and ways to get up to these places. I don't just want it to be a cool looking tower that you can't do anything with. Like yeah. I want it to actually be functional as part of the world. And so that to me means I also want them to be structured. So I would, I would also feel funny kind of placing blocks in the middle of nowhere. 
um, doing that. It's one of the things I think I enjoy most about playing Minecraft is that problem solving part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but something that that um, Beefy McGee X said about the having like a, a copper wrench that would allow you to, to rotate different things. Uh, we do use the terracotta wrench, which is a data pack from VanillaTweaks.net uh, on the Citadel. And I used it when I was recently making the carpet design in the Tiger Hill Mansion, where I used um, various different kinds of glazed terracotta. And rather than trying to figure out which direction I had to face via trial and error, they don't give you any indication. Like you have to place it down first and think, all right, which way do I have to twist? And usually you pick the wrong way first and the wrong way again. It's kind of like plugging in a USB port. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I find that that wrench is such a quality of life. Like you just, you throw down the terracotta where you want it and then you go back with the wrench and you just click it and it just rotates mm -hmm. in space. It just, it just moves, which as a Minecraft player that can destroy or build anything in the world, you feel like you would have the power to just like rotate a block rather than having to pick it up and place it down. Uh, and that to me, I think is, is not something I find goes outside of the vanilla thing. I, I think that that's very much within the spirit of the game. Uh, I, we have had one previously with redstone that would do the same thing by like turning an observer around or turning repeaters around when you click on it with a redstone wrench. But Either that didn't work very well with the terracotta um, installed, or we just didn't find we used it that much, so we got yeah. rid of it. So we we just have the terracotta one, the redstone one. I we just uh, we're not so heavy into redstone that we're trying to make something so compact that you can't place the thing. Like normally, my redstone looks like a field, so like I can very easily say, "Oh, I've pointed that repeater the wrong way. I just need to mm -hmm. walk over to it and place it the other direction." And so I find that clarity with redstone for me is more important than compact and things, you know, facing just the right way. Yeah. Um, the other thing that that makes me think of is uh, I have been playing a lot of Satisfactory lately. Now, this works better with a sci-fi game. So in Satisfactory, you build by using your build tool and it presents you with a hologram of the build piece that you're going to put down. And before you place it, uh, you then have to click your, your mouse button to place it. But before you place it, it gives you a hologram. And then scrolling your mouse wheel will rotate the piece in any one shape or form. Mm -hmm. So now granted in Minecraft, you can place stairs upside down or right side up, depending on which part of the block you're aiming at. In Satisfactory, there's ramps and it's two different build pieces. There's a right side up ramp and there's an upside down ramp. So you have to choose the right build piece. And then it just rotates 360 degrees on an axis. Like it doesn't flip upside down. Um, but having that kind of capability in Minecraft would be cool. The problem is that Satisfactory is a sci-fi game. So having a hologram kind of with a little like remote control in your hand kind of makes sense. You know, it's something your visor would give you as a display. Yeah. Whereas in Minecraft, having a hologram of a stair block hover out in front of you, rotating in different positions while you scroll your mouse wheel, it would be useful, but I don't, it wouldn't feel much like survival Minecraft with yeah. stick swords and stone walls. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a, it, there's an easy, there's a solution for it, but then it's like, does it fit the spirit of the game? And, uh, like, I, I, I know we've talked about stuff like this before in terms of what people find cheaty. If you find it cheaty, don't do it. But if, if it's something that enables you to enjoy the game, as you said, it does making building more fun. Then like, I, you know, the, the thing that everybody sacrifices when they play Minecraft is time. Yeah. And if, if you can get more done and have more fun 
and it's not really harming anybody, then like go for it. You yeah. know, what I would say is like, if you built something in creative and then like Manica by the press of a button would automatically place everything for you, just kind of like 3D print it, like, you know, and then you move on to the next tower and do the same thing. That I would say like, all right, well, you're not playing survival Minecraft at that point. You're playing creative and you have a creative tool in survival. Like that would be kind of for me, that's where I would draw my line. Um, yeah. But if you're still placing, if you're still placing every block one block at a time, I I think that still takes a long time. Well, you 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 can speak to how long it takes to fill out a light manica like thing. Like you've done it in creative once, but does it take a long time to fill out the schematic once it's you're putting it in survival? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it still takes it it definitely takes some time off what it would be building that in survival from scratch, and I think even from screenshots like my my other work method, um, I think it's. Like there's a lot of counting involved if you're doing something more precise yeah. um you know that kind of stuff it, it just eliminates the need for that and there's a little bit less of the process of stepping back and looking at things to make sure you're building them right because you know you're building them right it's there in the guide um but i think i mean easy place mode makes it much faster because you literally just hold down right click and look at all of the blocks that you need to place but even then, you've still got to worry about like getting up high enough and and that kind of thing. So it, it's there's still some scaffolding required. It's just not as uh, not as not as easy as as all that. Um, personally, I don't begrudge anybody else using easy placement mode. Like you said, your your business is your own. Um, you're the one to decide whether something is enjoyable or you know ultimately feels too artificial for you. Um, which is why I draw the line at and and I don't use easy placement mode, but. I think you can still enjoy the game that way, and the only person who's gonna be bothered by it as cheating is, you know, anybody else on the same server as you who isn't doing that. Like if you're in a single player world, chase your bliss, do do whatever makes you happy, because I think it's it's only cheating if you feel cheated at that stage. I'm gonna move us on to our second email. This one comes in from Lilaco, and the subject is rotting wood. Hi, Johnny and Joel. Whilst thinking about whether or not iron should be able to age, another block came into my head. Wood. We should be able to have a different age of wood, similar to the way we have cracked and mossy stone bricks. A quick Google search informed me that rotting wood is caused by fungi, so moving wood with a brown or red mushroom could create a more worn-down, weathered texture. It would add an aged feeling to builds which would really fit a build that was historic, a Halloween-style house, or even just to create more gradients. It would match these types of builds because it can feel weird having perfect logs next to worn down stone as if only the wood has been preserved. I was thinking this would only work with logs, planks, stairs and slabs, and not any other blocks like boats and doors. What do you think of this idea? Lila Co drowned from trying to build a shipwreck without noticing that her water breathing potion had run out. So on the surface, 110% yes. You know, mm -hmm. where, like, where, where do I put them in my inventory? But like, you know, yes, would love <laughs> this. Uh, and 111% if I get rotten trapdoors, because I do like me some trapdoors. <laughs> yeah, um, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but, you know, the obvious channel uh, uh, or challenge and debate here is, do you get one new block called rotting wood, kind of a gray, you know, something that looks like planks that have been rotted away over time? Uh, I've got an old weathered pallet as a decorative piece in my apartment and it's got that kind of like gray barn wood, you know, look mm -hmm. to it. Um, or do you get rotting wood in the variants of every wood type we currently have? At which point, again, where do you put them? Uh, I think the idea of limiting it to logs and planks 
those that share those textures would help a bit. Uh, but then people are going to say like, well, I've got all these great rotted planks. Why can't I have a rotted fence? You know, like I think it's, it's a slippery slope, I guess, when you get into it. Um, I do really like the crafting idea with mushrooms. I think that's got some cool real world stuff. Mojang likes to stick to educational things and keep things realistic sometimes i think it's clever it's a good use of mushrooms which is a block that not a lot of people use or harvest that much um so so that's cool but uh i i think that one way that this could be kind of implemented would be similar to having mossy stone um having mossy wood i think might be more useful than having rotting wood but that's that's kind of just me uh in terms of just building it and and like you have the moss you have the block um but then we also have seen what mojang has done recently with things like skulk veins and a glow lichen where they give you one texture that is an overlay block it's something that goes on top of another block it's one item added to your inventory that then gives you as many different textures as that works with right with you when you overlay it over a block so not the same as rotting wood, but like, I, I wonder if there are other solutions than just giving, I don't know, what are there eight wood types now? Like, do you, and do you want rotted hyphae too? You know, <laughs> like yeah. it's what does rotted warped wood look like? So I, I, there's a whole slippery, slippery slope of where that can go. It's a lovely idea though. I like the idea of having something, uh, and maybe it's not, I don't know, maybe it's just a, a matter of, of adding some texture variants to the existing planks so like maybe it's not necessarily a new block that you get but maybe there's just they make the planks less perfect overall you know yeah maybe and i i like your notion of it being something like glow lichen where you can sort of apply it as an overlay and i mean that also implies that you could remove it so you could have something that makes the wood look rotten even if it doesn't actually affect the integrity of the block itself we have people in our live chat saying you know if it's rotting will it break if you walk on it there's a lot of different mechanics that you can infer as a result of that but it also yeah it adds if you were, if we're counting the nether types as wood types it adds potentially 36 more blocks to the game if you have rotting variants of logs planks stairs and slabs um, which is a lot of blocks to add for effectively one mechanic, right? Again, this is the, the problem with anything made of wood, <laughs> is that like you, you add chest boats to the game and suddenly there are nine additional boats because they're all different types of wood. Um, yeah, I, I think that if you are including rotting wood in the game, there needs to be some sort of catalyst. I like the fungus idea. I also recall that termites were suggested as part of the savannah changes from a previous biome vote. So potentially you have termites to hollow out a log or, you know, infest a plank or something like that. And maybe if they work similar to silverfish, then it just becomes a, a case of if you destroy the block, the block disappears entirely and you get termites. But if you break it with silk touch, you just get the regular block back but in the meantime it looks rotten on the outside or looks you know worm eaten on the outside maybe um th there's there's options there for stuff like that but i agree with the core of this idea which is that it's difficult to make wood look aged a lot of it has to be about choosing the color harmony with the other materials that you're using quite wisely and if you're working on something that is you know rotting because it's been flooded out then maybe you use a couple of stripped spruce logs 
and then you stripped oak above the waterline and that clearly indicates the difference between the two and i think stripped spruce also has like a little bit of that kind of background green in the texture which is yes it does yeah kind of nice for that um same goes with jungle logs and i guess mangrove maybe now because they both have that horizontal bark texture to them you can do some cool stuff like that to kind of imply a lot of that stuff but really once you're into this this zone with trying to match the age of wooden materials to the age of stone materials you're really talking about doing more with the different wood textures and the different colors of wood rather than having an aged variant that's already in the game so i think rotting wood is a cool idea i prefer the idea i think of it being something like if you put a moss carpet on the top of a block then moss drapes down over the sides stuff like that stuff like that like the connected textures that you see with people building pathways where the grass creeps in around the edges of path blocks and stuff like that i kind of like the image of that more than i like adding a bunch of extra block variants to the game and weighing down inventory again for for the player at, at a time when we are all feeling the inventory pinch i think yeah it's like the the textures that you've seen when if people connect certain things to terracotta the terracotta looks like it's been chipped away and you can yeah. see like stone brick underneath the terracotta i remember um whip having texture packs like that but i the problem there is that it's a texture pack and then you have to decide well what blocks cause it to happen and what block blocks don't because i don't necessarily always want my terracotta and my stone to look like they've been weathered over a hundred years maybe i want this to look like a new building and i'm going to be very frustrated if i can't get a very clean straight line um one of the things that you know we mentioned in the chat with uh, your old man was about would it break if you walked on it I, I wouldn't want that mechanic but we've seen a lot of audio changes uh in minecraft over the last couple of updates having rotten planks creak when you walk on them mm -hmm. would be really cool in terms of atmospheric stuff like you could create a haunted house you could you know it would just feel different uh especially if you were to find rotting planks naturally in abandoned mine shafts and yeah. as you're skulking around this rot this mine shaft looking around dark corners the floorboards are creaking like that would that would add a lot especially if you have one that's near the the um the deep dark and and you know creaking planks register in some in the warden like that <laughs> would give a whole a whole other reason to stay on the wool right there's, there's yeah. definitely some possibilities there and but I, I like you i just i can't think of a good way to do it that doesn't add like 360 new blocks to the game in one yeah. go yeah definitely i mean woodland mansions could benefit from that imagine an oh, abandoned yeah. feeling woodland mansion mm. um or an area of a woodland mansion can get a bit of a makeover with with creaking and rotten wooden planks i like the the idea of that but yeah it's, it's definitely an idea that i'm sure mojang has considered since the invention of copper and the aging process of copper what other blocks can we apply this to and what else can we either add or you know revisit about minecraft's current design that is gonna is gonna work out for this aging mechanic to be applied so yeah watch this space maybe we'll get something at uh minecraft live this year but what we know we're going to get at minecraft live this year is another look at minecraft legends and we've just had this uh video drop on the minecraft youtube channel which looks at the process of adapting the minecraft world to this action strategy format that we know minecraft legends is going to have uh, focusing on the design of mobs both familiar and new so joel decided we should probably discuss this in length at length on the show and uh i i really like what they've done with this video let's start off as the video starts off with 
the visuals. We're, we're shown a lot of concept art, and I, I always love seeing this, Joel. I'm sure you as an artist probably feel the same about that. Oh, look, it, it makes me miss you know the the concept work that i that i used to do uh and i've been um so busy with other things lately with the other content that i do that i i would feel rusty even to sit down and, and draw something i mean it would come back kind of like riding a bike but um this kind of like iterative uh you've got these ideas for like golems and and arrow golems and all these different things the wood golem and and going through the different versions and seeing one that looks more like a cannon and versus one that looks more like a it looks reminds me of Cubert the eighty <laughs> yeah. character yeah um, and they're like they're mixing like the cute but also it shoots arrows like it's kind of aggressive you know <laughs> like there's there's this really kind of mix of of what they've got going on uh, and I I I really enjoy seeing the visuals for me the highlight of this was this was the meatiest. I think visual dump that we've had. We've yeah. had trailers and that's fine, but a lot of us can kind of separate, well, this looks wonderful because it's a very well animated trailer, but that's not what the gameplay is going to look like. And while some of the characters uh, in the trailer are are well designed and, and representations of what you see in the game, like the tumbling piglins and the bigger piglins and the little piglins with the maces and stuff like that, um, I feel like we get a much closer look by seeing concept art alongside of more gameplay footage that I've seen previously with animated characters and landscapes and stuff going around. So, yeah, I, I, I'm still on the fence about what the gameplay is going to actually be like because I still don't really know in terms of, you know, even what they've shown us. But I, I do really like the way it looks. Um, I think that they also um, did a really good job talking about the reasons that they have these characters looking a specific way. Mm -hmm. um, I think specifically talking about the classic mobs that are traditionally hostile, zombies, skeletons, creepers, uh, that they're saying, okay, well, how do we keep these iconic designs but make them immediately known to the player that they're friendly uh but also kind of sticking with the lore of the minecraft world where a couple of these mobs will burn in the sunlight so how do we keep them from burning in the sunlight well in minecraft if you give them a helmet then they'll not burn in the sunlight so let's give them a bunch of really cool hats and let's <laughs> make them cute and dorky hats which again adds to the appeal which is a, a word thrown around in character design all the time and uh it adds to the personality too. And the fact that they're a bunch of silly hats for zombies and skeletons, like the skeletons have toques on, <laughs> like, yeah. you know? Uh, and I mean, and I want to give a shout out to Blackbird Interactive in Vancouver, Canada. It's nice that this is being developed in Canada. That's kind of a fun thing for me. Um, but like, you can see it in the hats. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell <laughs> that there's a bunch of Canadians that are working on this. And I, I know that the toques were definitely like a, we should put a toque on a skeleton. And then everybody in that room said, yes, yes, yep. we should. Like mm -hmm. we, we have the opportunity. We are going to do that. Um, and I think it works. And I think the combined with like the animation, which we'll get into later, um, but also the scale. That's the other thing too. If you'll notice when you look at a creeper in vanilla Minecraft versus a creeper in Minecraft Legends, they've got the chibi design. Heads are much bigger. Um, that's going to work for a number of reasons. One, it's going to be a better silhouette. So when you're looking top down or in your 3D environment, you're looking mostly down at the battlefield in these things, in these RTS games. You want to be able to discern different characters from, from one another. So having the heads bigger 
having a specific hat on a certain type of unit means that you're going to be able to grab your uh, well, I don't know. We'll say fast zombies versus slow zombies. Well, your fast zombies have the yellow hats and they look like, you know, baseball caps. And then your slow zombies have got the red hats and they look more like, or they're maybe they're the ones wearing pumpkins. Then, you know, they're orange, very clear. Mm-hmm. But you need to be able to discern those at a distance and quickly. And so having bigger heads make that, makes that a lot easier. It's like why um, the isometric designs on like mobile games, all the houses are like, they have massive roofs. And yeah. then everything else below the roof line doesn't really matter because what you're looking at is mostly the roof details to identify that's the smithy, that's the the Thatcher, and that's my you know my main town hall or whatever. And so I think that by giving them these chibi proportions, it does have that clarity for gameplay, but it also makes the creeper kind of cute, right? Like it, yeah. he's not very threatening when he's got this great big old bobblehead and he kind of looks like he's a, a two-year-old that's going to fall over at any minute, right? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a point in the video where they talked about trying to give the zombies smiles and they were like, no, this doesn't work. <laughs> but they, they kind of made them look a little bit goofy. They've got their heads kind of lolling to one side, but they're still mm-hmm. running forward. And like it allows them to feel kind of off balance and and a little bit limp noodly kind of thing, but still feel like they move with purpose and have that kind of function to them. Um yeah, I, I always love seeing stuff like this, the process, the design process of working on some of this stuff, which you can see, you can see from the sheets that they show us that like maybe they went through a couple of iterations before this, but what they focus on in the video is here are all of the different hat designs for the zombies and skeletons and whatnot. Whereas when you're looking at the concept art of the piglins, it goes through so many different stages of like, how do we make this portal guard piglin look imposing do we have him being super armored no we want to save like the extra gold on the armor for the piglins who are like higher up the food chain in terms of like you know the royal piglins are the ones who are hoarding all the gold so the portal guards maybe like they they have to have muscles on display how muscly do we make it and they kind of refine that until they get to the one that you see the screenshot of in the trailer i think it's a really cool insight into all of the different iterations that go into it and that's not to mention like the weaponry and everything else involved as well i think what i'm taking away from this is that because we know these are going to be part of the game they've been clearly featured in the trailers and some of the gameplay footage this is concept art that they're sharing because they know these are features that are going to be implemented and i really hope that across all the minecraft teams even though we've heard earlier in this episode that they're going to be holding back some of the stuff that they know is still in development they still don't shy away from showing us concept art of the stuff that they know they're going to implement because i really enjoy looking at the design process and seeing like here's what we could have had and here's what they ultimately settled on and why that felt more like it belonged in minecraft as a as a world as a game i think that's that's a really cool thing to see I agree. And I think to my point earlier about, you know, going through a bunch of bad ideas, it's really sometimes a nice thing to see a concept art page. You see the final design. It looks, you know, not final, but like, this is the one that we've chosen to show. This is very likely what it's going to look like when we add it to the game, although there might be room for improvement. But then you go back and you see the three other iterations before they got to the one that you see. And even if your initial reaction is like, well, that that looks kind of it's kind of odd looking. I'm not sure if I like it. But then when you see the other other versions and maybe even some things in the concept art that they were exploring and the problems that they're running into, then you can almost say, okay, well, those look really dumb. I'm glad they didn't use those. <laughs> and oh, 
oh, I can see the problem that they ran into. Like I had a better idea, I thought, and then I can see it in the concept art and then go, oh, but then that wouldn't work when it interacts with this other character or this block or like whatever the reason is. The the thought process that goes through, you know, concept artists head when they when they tackle this stuff is it's intense. And and I I, I love seeing that that process. And I think too that it also it helps with your suspension of disbelief because like Minecraft is ultimately going to deliver, you know, and I, I don't want to keep on going back to Minecraft, but when you put something in vanilla Minecraft, it's not going to be quite as well rendered and quite as well realized as you see it in concept art, right? Um, games like Legends are going to be able to give a much more 3D tangible feel to the concept art compared to Minecraft um, on its own. And so uh, I, I like the the ability of seeing concept art, I think gives you a better way of saying like, okay, well this, it looks like this in Minecraft, but if I saw the concept art and I can see how it's supposed to move or the ideas and the personality that comes out in the concept art, it kind of helps you apply that to the game um, when you play with it later. But to focus on, on legends and the concept art, like uh, in addition to the um, the mobs, like even just seeing the the art and the environments and stuff, uh, the different um, buildable pieces, the the it's similar to like how the piglin bastions in, in Minecraft have different pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, they were showing these like exploded views of like here's like a bunch of different towers and a bunch of different stuff all in the concept art, and that to me is really exciting as well because you don't want um, the game like an rts situation to get super repetitive you know like you don't want to just go fight the piglin bastion and have it look the same every time you go uh, you want it to be different and having all these different pieces that are potentially you know procedurally generated in terms of how they're arranged i think it's got some potential there as well so they're they're obviously taking like a lot of cues um from different systems in minecraft and and bringing it forward and i guess minecraft dungeons as well because dungeons had like levels designs and dungeons that were kind of random right they were made up of segments but recognizable segments but every time you play the dungeon it wouldn't be the same yeah they have tiles basically that are yeah e yeah effectively chained together to provide a different level layout each time and there's a variety of different tiles that you can have and yeah i think like like dungeons legends taking its own direction with the environment design is really cool like it's keeping the um the cube based feel of minecraft but it isn't afraid to squash and stretch some of those cubes for environmental detail if you look at like like you were saying they're doing the chibi thing with uh creepers you'll notice that in that first shot of the creepers roaming around a desert it has several blocks which aren't perfect cubes or slabs or stairs or whatever I, at first they're kind of like mm, vertical slabs but they're actually just differently scaled cuboids which are put there to give the environment a little bit more detail and none of that is going to be crucial to gameplay like you're going to be exploring in a very freeform way and i think the landscape is mostly just still going to be the same like full block staircase kind of layout to everything but because traversal isn't going to be one of the challenges of the game the way it is in minecraft uh, vanilla you're gonna find that doesn't matter as much what matters is the detail of the environments around you um the textures there are also completely different like they've used minecraft's textures as a starting point i presume but then gone their own way in significant ways in ways that maybe suited the cell shaded style a little more 
if you look at the background of the jungle scene where there's a bunch of zombies around a plant which is not a native thing to vanilla minecraft either um you see the jungle trees in the background they're larger they're more varied they have so much more layers to them um and more branches compared to the ones from the base game which just have one or two branches these jungle trees look enormous and i think that really builds the environment in an interesting way this is also a heightened sense of what we think of as reality for minecraft because a lot of this is meant to be a what-if scenario and it's a story that's been passed down from generation to generation as a legend so you can imagine people exaggerating the trees were 300 feet tall and you know they're like grandpa that isn't <laughs> even possible right now and they were like oh shut up kids you know like i can imagine there being an element of exaggeration to it which is part of the idea that this isn't necessarily canon to the minecraft world it's just uh, a, a fire a bedtime story or, or the, a fireside story that you know the the older villagers are telling to the younger ones or something and i'm sure that the designers working on this that have designed for minecraft in the past have just been just like oh i get to work with something that's not a meter by meter block like i can make a branch that looks like a branch <laughs> yeah. Great. like i'm absolutely yeah. going to take that opportunity to do that you know mm -hmm. like i i see what you mean like in terms of the squashed blocks and there's other things like you know spiky spears and lots of things that are just not not blocks at all um but but still in a lot of ways that keep with the that theme like things still look like minecraft and i would say it's almost like a mix between minecraft and minecraft dungeons like it, yeah. it, the the visual style kind of lands in between there's the cell shading aside i'm not entirely sure i'm still on board with like the black outline um but i like the variety of foliage that we're getting it's still kind of in little square clumps which is fun but like the different like cattails and taller grasses and um the things that create a lot of life in dungeons when a character walks through them and the, the grass moves or the flowers light up and stuff like that you're seeing the little video snippets of the characters running around the environment and having the grass kind of like lean out of their way or get trampled as a mm -hmm. bunch of golems run towards the bad guys like that kind of thing just adds immersion to what you're doing and and in some ways could potentially even camouflage like if you get a bunch of green creepers in tall green grass like that could that could be cool like that could be kind of fun that could be, could be hard to spot you know depending on what you're doing and i don't know uh in the game whether we're going to be able to do pvp you know like are you and i going to be able to go up against one another or is it always going to be co-op against the piglins can, can i be the piglins because i telling you looking at this concept art and seeing the different designs for the piglins i'm more excited about the piglins than i am about any of the other mobs <laughs> you know like i i really like them it would be really interesting for there to be an asymmetric multiplayer kind of thing in the same way that something like StarCraft has. Like, WarCraft is different because it's orcs and humans, but both of those sides, in the initial games at least, um, before it kind of expands, I think, from WarCraft 3 onwards, uh, the, the initial orcs and humans factions, they're very equivalent. Like, there is the grunt unit who just goes up and chops at stuff with a sword or an axe or whatever if you put two of those against each other they basically double ko because you know both of them are attacking exactly the same way exactly the same time whereas in starcraft you have three very different types of races and i do wonder if in something like this if we get to play as the piglin faction you'll find it plays very differently to the overworld faction in any kind of multiplayer pvp kind of setting but it would be interesting to see if there's really enough equivalence on the piglins side and how much of that gameplay is mirrored for the piglins compared to it just being they have a big fort that you need to destroy as part of a campaign i'm i'm very curious about that
What do you think about the golems? I like them. I really do. I think they're they're really neat little creatures, and it expands on something that Minecraft has already, which is you know snow golems, iron golems. You know the copper golem was a concept. Like I I like the idea of them, and it's funny to me looking at the concept art pages for those, and they include build recipes, which is you know a plank of wood with a carved pumpkin on top and thinking you couldn't do that in vanilla minecraft like it's cute for legends and i don't know if you are actually supposed to build them in the same way if you need to gather the resources to create them or we see briefly in one of the gameplay pieces that uh the player like runs up to a kind of spawning point for certain types of mobs so mm. I'm not certain if like you need resources for that or if it's just something that you can walk up to and and those mobs appear. But you know those recipes that they have in the concept art couldn't exist the same way in Minecraft because you'd end up creating them by mistake all the time. <laughs> if you try and put a carved pumpkin on a wooden floor inside your house and it becomes a golem instead, <laughs> then that's not really ideal, is it? It's why the uh, iron golem and the snow golem are a little bit more deliberate in terms of their shape and their shape doesn't occur naturally anywhere. Um, but I think the designs look really cool. Um, they definitely suit the uh, hordes of units approach from strategy games. When all of the stone golems were surrounding a structure and trying to bring it down, it kind of reminded me of the Zergling Rush approach from StarCraft, yeah. where you, you just make a bunch of cheap units and send them in as quickly as possible before your uh, adversary has any chance to build up their own defenses. And um, yeah, like they, they've each got different characteristics to them. Uh, they're visually distinct from each other. The plank golems are apparently turrets, but they look like porcupines to me with the kind of cluster of arrows sticking out the tops of their heads, which I really like. And then you've got melee cobblestone golems, mossy golems for support, and the grindstone ones focus on disrupting enemy combat, which is the the hardest one for me to understand as somebody who doesn't play strategy games that often, but I guess they just kind of run in and like haul off an enemy that's like bearing down on one of your valuable units they'll they'll try and like prevent them from attacking you as effectively or something so there's there's a lot of depth to gameplay mechanics like that because you're managing lots of these units but they all have to work as a as a team i think that's kind of a neat approach to it yeah think about the disruption kind of like knockback so if you've got a very strong melee character that's kicking your butt if you send in your disruptors and they knock that melee character out of range uh and farther back and by pushing it farther back it then becomes in range of your uh plank golems right um so that, that it can be shot from a distance safely or vice versa if you're playing against um uh, I guess this would be more effective if if the piglins have some sort of unit that heals them. They probably I don't see anything in this video, but we, there's the the mossy golem which has like a water spout that heals your units that are nearby. If that was something the enemy had, you could use your disruptor unit to push that healing unit out of range, so it's no longer healing your sure, your, yeah. your adversary, and then you can you know take them out quicker. Um, but yeah, I do get that kind of mob feeling, that Zerg rush feeling from some of the visuals. The I, the stone golems I've seen do two different attacks. One of them was like a very slow lumbering, two hands above the head, kind of Hulk smash, which is funny because the things are really small. <laughs> yeah. They're only a block high. 
Uh, the other thing that I've seen was right up your alley. It was more of a bare fist Steve like kung fu attack where they just kind <laughs> yeah. of. It reminded me of Rumble from the Transformers in the eighties. He just kind of like had that arms, just kind of like bam, 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 bam. You know, kind of like a, attacking the enemy in that way. And that could be it could be different depending on what unit they're attacking, whether attacking a building versus attacking another unit. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like the the thing that had me wondering in terms of the way that the animation was not so much the individual animation, but they all have personality, which I think is great. Uh, the 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 healing golems, the mossy golems, almost feel like they're they're spreading out water, but like they don't know they're about to do it. It almost feels like they're surprised yeah. <laughs> when it happens. <laughs> um, but the the thing that caught my eye was the way that the animations are happening in groups. Like you're not seeing one unit go out and do something you're seeing groups of five or ten running across the field almost like a flock of birds yeah yeah and so this is where i'm hoping that the battle strategy is going to be more like a traditional rts like starcraft where you have to you can you can create groups and you can command groups or you can command individual units um, but they are definitely doing what you tell them to do i'm hoping it's that and not more of a tower defense type thing where we see these kind of like hologram spawn nodes. They look like little shrines and they have the hologram of the creeper or the skeleton or the zombie above them. And it looks like they spawn the unit that you want to send into battle. I'm hoping that you get to direct those units and they just don't flow out of that thing and run towards the battle and then do their own thing. Because then yeah. you kind of like you're kind of sitting back and watching computer happen. And yeah. that's not as fun for me. Yeah. I'm hoping that because in most RTS games, your units are built by a building at your home base. You know, like you build a barracks and it makes your infantry unit. You build a mechanic shop and it builds your tanks or whatever. And with this, it looks like you have to erect a shrine to the particular mob that you want to show up and then it will show up. And it doesn't look like that's limited to your base. It looks like you could maybe build that in the battlefield, which you would probably then have to defend because you don't want it to go away. Um, so that's interesting, but I'm hoping that you still have control over the units and it's not just like build a fire hose of creepers here and just have them funnel like lemmings into the front door of your of your adversary. I'm not sure that would be as fun. I think this is an approach they take in the later Warcraft games and maybe happens a little bit more in other like MOBA kind of scenarios, but you see players with like the legendary character and that's sort of the one that you control and they're leading the charge. And so yes. you have control over maybe not individual units but at least groups of units that you sort of send in as a wave but your character is at the front of the line on the horse which you see in in minecraft legends trailers uh like riding in and directing them from there so i think it's going to be a mix of that kind of like action battling kind of you're in there swinging your own sword but you've got to watch your own health so you can't take this whole thing on single-handedly versus like a ton of other strategy elements in it but it doesn't seem like a tower defense because if anything it's a tower attack you know you're the one that's aggressing mm. the enemy base but the enemy is obviously an incursion to the overworld and you're trying to defend it from them so i think it's a lot more about yeah bringing groups of your own units into the enemy camp and seeing how much damage you can do that seems to be the approach that i'm seeing i don't know if that's ultimately going to be accurate um I think it was really interesting. They talked about the philosophy for designing the piglins, and they said we kind of want them to be like children, um, which is a weird way of putting it, but obviously the ones that we're seeing on screen at the time they're talking about this are like the really small ones. They're the, the kind of, the, for almost comic relief, they're slightly clumsy, 
um, they say they're armed with the resources to do what they want, but maybe not the knowledge of how to do it well. And you see some of them with just like little blaze rods that they're wielding like a tiny lightsaber, um, but others have oversized <laughs> weapons that they can barely carry, and they're kind of like stumbling while this this giant mace is being swung around. Um, and it's really interesting to hear them talk about the design of those because they say the design phase began before the nether update came to vanilla minecraft so vanilla minecraft's piglins hadn't arrived yet they had maybe been announced but they hadn't um you know been part of the player experience for very long yet and so they had to make sure not to contradict anything while the nether update was really taking shape and since then obviously players have had time to internalize what a piglin is and then they're coming out with a very different style of piglin with more of a hierarchical system and different types of them beyond just the piglin brutes and the slightly different like weaponry that the the vanilla minecraft piglins have so right now they seem to have the more steampunky mechanical technology that we see some parts of in minecraft dungeons although maybe at that point it's even fallen into ruin a little bit so this might even take place in the imagination of the uh of the whole thing even though it's it's not canon or whatever it takes place even further back uh than minecraft dungeons does in the game's history and it's more about the uh the piglin civilization using that technology to invade the overworld i really like that that bit about the piglins as well how they're all off balance and i think later on there was a comment um trying to find it's cynthia lou i think is her name yeah um, yeah and and she was talking about how the animators really kind of make them feel off balance mm -hmm. and there's it's a it's a cinematic clip but there's a hilarious moment that i keep on seeing in various trailers and promotions where there's a piglin running into battle with a giant mace and uh, a copper or a, some sort of golem thing hits the guy next to him and he turns around to look to see what's happened and still is running into battle, like arm outstretched, mace in front of him, but he's completely looking in the opposite direction of where he's going. Mm -hmm. And the moment he turns around to look where he's going, he gets mowed over by something. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just got that, like that mentality of just like, I'm, I'm doing a thing, but I am absolutely not paying attention to what I'm doing. Like it's, it's that, it's that thing where like you, you've got the five-year-old that's out in the outfield and baseball right mm -hmm. and they're just like yeah. they're playing with the grass or they're like they're doing whatever it is that interests them they're not really focused on the task at hand and i find it very funny and it it keeps a fun spirit to the game because rts's can get really competitive yeah uh and and like there's a lot of esports and there's a lot of stuff that's built around them same with mobas and and i'm hoping that because of the the silly nature of it i hope it's going to be almost as fun to lose you know as it is to win because if funny stuff like that happens like you kind of have to laugh when these big-headed little piglin grunters and runts kind of like overwhelm you and they're just like it's like they're so inept it's almost funny that you lost you know yeah. like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I i feel like that's that's a it's a good thing and i i really enjoyed the uh i was it was alicia i'm trying to remember her last name Leston is the lead artist at Blackbird Interactive and that those two developers talking about the characters and the personality and like all those things was something that has sold me more on Legends than I think anything else we've received so far. Yeah, and even stuff like the animation, like the animations have a lot more fluidity to them. There's a lot mm -hmm. more personality in there than them 
you know, walking around kind of stiff the way vanilla Minecraft mobs do. And that kind of calls back to our discussion about bringing more modern animation styles into Minecraft's kind of more blocky movement. And I, I like the fact that they've been able to find a middle ground there. They're not like flopping all over the place, but they've at least got enough personality that A, if you have a mob of mobs, <laughs> if you have like a whole crowd of them, then they're not all going to be moving in lockstep. You know, they're not all going to be moving exactly the same way. They're going to look like a, a proper army. They're sort of formed up rank and file and whatnot, but they're still like their heads are flopping in different directions and some of them are like running more gangly than others and there's enough variety there to make it look like they're still individual even in that collective group yeah which i think is great but then the yeah, individual there's... mobs you see walk around like the the llama has like a really kind of jaunty side to side kind of swagger to it that i really enjoyed yeah it's like some of them walk around like a happy golden retriever it's mm -hmm, pretty, yeah it's pretty funny i the the thing that i find so interesting is that the two kind of like motion cycles that i've seen are either like the head first <clears throat> i think it's like the naruto run that's like an anime thing where you've got your yeah. head out in front of you and your arms are outstretched immediately behind you in like a 45 yes. degree angle and you're just running full tilt like leaning forward uh and then the other one looks like those promotional uh fan powered noodles that you'll see at like car dealerships where <laughs> yes. the fan is like blowing them around they're constantly like drooping over and then blowing back up again and drooping over like so then the other run cycle that i see is like this lean back arms up in the air kind of like panic mode where you're just kind of like running around and it looks like the character is running around going help me save me help me save yeah, me but they're running very, into uh, battle flailing kermit the frog kind of arms yeah yes yeah mm. yeah yeah that's that's yeah. the thing and so i get like they've, they've added a lot to that and Again, it makes me miss that there's not more personality in the animations in, in Minecraft in general, because like you could do more stuff with a creeper like that. I almost want to see what it would be like to have a chibi looking creeper in vanilla Minecraft. Like if we if we changed it to be a little bit cuter, would it still be just as threatening, you know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm sure people will come out with like resource packs or something like that that have more of that minecraft legends flavor to it if, if the game takes off in popularity i i did see a few people making minecraft dungeons themed resource packs around the time of that but those were more focused on the environments because many of the mobs were pretty similar uh, yeah. so i think it's it's there's potential out there for uh for, for people to really run with the art style of minecraft legends once we've had a a closer look at it which hopefully we're going to get at minecraft live 2022 once again that's coming up on october 15th and we're very excited to be streaming that and hopefully we'll have a little bit more to tell you about that next week but it really depends when mojang sends out the news for now though that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at the the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast as joel said at the top of the show we love our community and they support us in what we do getting the show out to you every week and if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks where joining our community pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live when we record it in discord every week you also get our monthly minecraft audio hangout and a few behind the scenes peeks at what's coming up in the calendar as well we're currently at 332 patrons which is down from last week thanks to the usual patreon reshuffle at the beginning of the month so we'd love to bolster our numbers as October continues. Special thanks go to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode. 
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and they can listen to it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide and Empire's SMP. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online is linked at joelduggan.com. The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, can be found at thecitadelcafe.com. Very heavy rings of power chat the next couple of weeks, it looks like, so that's going to be a lot of fun. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Minecraft on the weekends, a Lego on Friday, and a lot of satisfactory during the week, but uh, looking to change it up, so we'll see what's up. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and it's featuring features from now on.